Welcome to the Belonging Starts Here podcast. Thank you for following along as we, together, reinvent what it means to be a foster child. I can't wait to share this cocoon of struggles, lessons, stories, and advice from one foster care alumni, foster parent, social worker, to another. Today's podcast guest is Dan. Dan, after receiving his master's in nonprofit administration from Notre Dame in 2014, he began working with LA Family Housing as a senior director. He understands the unique challenges of working with vulnerable populations and has the management insight to organize people behind a shared vision. Dan is the son of a doctor of nursing practice whose work centers on children who have been removed from their families secondary to unsafe or neglectful home environments. In his work with those experiencing homelessness, Dan has seen the unfortunate outcomes experienced by these kids when they age out of foster care and the juvenile justice systems. He started Mesa to have a hand in changing these outcomes. So without further ado, Dan, welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for for having me, Nifu. One of the things I wanted you to start off with is Telling me a little bit about how Mesa got its name. So my partner's name is Kyle in this uh, in this work, and we started out I think falling into a common trap of trying to make an acronym, and so Mesa stood for mindfulness, entrepreneurialism, something. We had the opportunity to go through a um, maybe a four month really intensive business development uh, course uh, with one of our board members, Ryan Jacobs, who's, um, I believe he's the creative director for Saatchi and Saatchi uh, International Advertising Agency. And through that work, we kind of realized that the acronym kind of put us in a box a little bit and started to think a little bit more about why we liked the word itself. Um, So, you know, love that it's bilingual, you know, Mesa means table in Spanish. And, you know, so much of what we are doing is trying to create a seat at the table for these young adults. Um, You know, and then the image of a table being a place where people can come together and gather and share and contribute and nourish themselves um, and sit together. I think that there's something really valuable about sharing food. Um, We are, as part of what we're building, and we'll talk more about that later, but as part of what we're building, we'll be growing uh, a lot of food ourselves, so on site. Um, And so I think that that's a pretty apt, uh, yeah, description and um, kind of the initial importance of it. But we also, like the more we thought about it, also thought about a mesa as, you know, a solid place where you're up above, you know, you've gained some elevation and it's flattened off and you can kind of see out into the distance and what a beautiful kind of image for the place in life where our participants are sitting, you know, in this space between maybe the foster system and the rest of their lives and not really necessarily being sure about where they're going that when you're up on a mesa, being able to see out and kind of chart your path and have an idea of where you're going and how you're going to get there. Agreed. And I think one of the most important questions to kind of talk about in the beginning of our conversation is 
why are so many foster youth aging out of foster care and then heading into homelessness? And then what is Mesa doing to help? Yeah, you mentioned it in the intro and I appreciate your your little mini bio uh, there. But, you know, when I was working in Los Angeles, uh, working for LA Family Housing, you know, we were housing more and more people every year. Uh, and then every year we would do the point in time count and see that homelessness had gone up, you know, 10, 15, 20%. And it didn't seem to matter <laughs> how many more people we added to our team and how many more people we housed every month that in the end, we couldn't keep up. People were becoming homeless faster than we could house them. And so uh, you mentioned my mom uh, working at Cost Pacifica, which is a, a nonprofit that works with kids who've been taken away from their parents or removed from their homes. And uh, the stats for that population are just overwhelming, right? 70% of these kids are homeless or incarcerated within two years of aging out uh, of the foster system. Uh, 20% become homeless the day they turn 18. And so when we have, you know, four to 6,000 kids a year aging out of the system just here in California, uh, it, it, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me that we are really fighting for a very small percentage of the total amount of money that's being spent uh, on homeless services for this age group, this transition age youth age group, 18 and 24 year olds. Um, so, you know, in terms of, you know, your original question was, well, why, why is it that this happens? I think um, the science is starting to provide the proof for what we all see, uh, which is that, you know, trauma has an incredible impact on the brain. And for kids who grow up in an environment that is incredibly traumatic and unstable, um, it's really difficult to develop the skills, um, not just kind of outward skills, but the inner kind of confidence, um, you know, feelings of safety, uh, uh, executive functioning, et cetera, that, that we know plays such a huge role in our ability to live happy, healthy, successful lives. Um, and so, you know, Mesa, when we developed Mesa, it was with that population in mind. I feel like when you've gone through trauma and you, you're, you're in care, there's a whole nother layer of healing that you have to go through to even focus on executive functioning and to focus on, you know, a lot of the responsibilities as a human that a lot of people already go through and have the foundation to grow from because we have this whole layer that we need to heal first. Look, I'm a, I'm a dad. Right. My wife and I have two little girls, uh, six and four, and becomes clear very quickly that simply putting, not that it's simple, but putting a roof over your kid's head and, and helping to put food in their mouths is a relatively small part of the job, you know, and, and the, the real work of it is you know, providing them with opportunities to explore the world uh, safely, you know, and to love them when they make mistakes and to create, um, 
you know, guidelines that you can help to steer them, you know, teach right from wrong, et cetera. And, you know, I think about what so much of our social services system is, uh, which is just kind of creating those bottom levels of, of Maslow's hierarchy, right? Provide food, provide shelter, maybe provide safety. Um, and people kind of need to figure it out from there. And I think that anyone who's been a parent or <laughs> maybe has been a child uh, knows that that's just not enough. And, you know, even for me, and I look at my peers or people that are a little older than me who've raised kids, you know, you can do everything right as a parent, quote unquote, right. And you're still kind of crossing your fingers that things turn out, right? That, that you know, when they leave the house, they're okay. And how often is it that, you know, our kids come back home and live at home again? And that's when you've done everything right, so to speak. And so why is it surprising to us that the folks that end up on the street and end up living these you know, unstable lives, um, had that instability as a kid. Right. And so I think that one of the things that Mesa is really trying to focus on is how do we move up that Maslow's hierarchy and start to provide an environment where young adults really can, um, realize their full potential. Um, and we can only do that by creating an environment that is, you know, unique to each person uh, that offers them choice, uh, that takes their own kind of history into account and desires for the future. Um, so, you know, how, how, how do we start to rebuild that foundation that they didn't have as kids and give them the time at this kind of critical juncture where they have a strong foundation for the rest of their lives. Talking to advocates and listening to all these resources is a, you know, a lot of foster children don't know that these resources are out there. And then B, if they do know that they're out there, they're scared to accept these resources because they know they might mess up again. And one of the things that stood out to me during our overview call, Dan, was when you said, you know, I, I know that they might mess up and that's okay. We'll still accept them with open arms because I wouldn't kick my own kids out if they made a mistake. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the, the homeless services industry as a whole has made really incredible strides towards, you know, a lower barrier harm reduction model. Um, and I think that for the most part, you know, people that are in this line of work have accepted that, but those best practices, you know, with open arms, I think we know that when we put those kinds of barriers in place or those hoops to jump through, you know, we end up working with the people that probably need our help the least. Uh, and we reinforce those kind of negative, um, you know, uh, low self-esteem feelings of failure Etc. When we uh, disregard people who trip up, you know. Um, so yeah, that that's certainly part of it. I think that's even more so uh, an important aspect of what we're doing at this with this age group, um, which is eighteen to twenty four. Eighteen to twenty four. Yeah, yeah. There's a big difference between having resources 
available or that exist, I suppose, in having access to those resources, right? So in California, they passed AB 12, um, which provided a whole host of things, including uh, free college education, right? Junior college and state college education for kids who age out of the foster system. Uh, it provided for things like um, subsidies for housing, et cetera, right? Well, how effective or how helpful is it to have a free college education if I can't make it through high school, right? So under 30, uh, roughly 30% of kids who age out of the foster system graduate from high school. So we're already talking about a really, you know, relatively small subset of the population who can take advantage of being able to go to college. Um, but then from there, you know, maybe I graduated, but by the skin of my teeth, right? And might not feel comfortable going to school, or I didn't have the support in high school to start applying for colleges, or I don't have the confidence or wherewithal to head out on my own, or I get into school and I don't have access to, you know, books, lodging, food, right? And now all these schools have offices of basic needs to try and provide some of those things to kids, but these are hurdles. Right. I, and so I'm a lot less likely to take advantage of it. Um, John Burton Advocates for Youth just recently did a presentation where they highlighted some of the work that was done nationwide uh, by some social workers in Texas, I believe, who looked at um, a variety of the states that provide uh, opportunities like that. And one of the things that they found was that I believe in 2019, roughly half of the states who offer free college education for people who age out of the foster system gave out less than 50 total vouchers for free school. Well, why is that? And they looked at all the reasons, right? One of the reasons was that they had to maintain a relatively high GPA. They had to maintain a full caseload, right? I mean, I think about what, you know, some, that some of them have work requirements, right? So it goes back to what we were talking about earlier around this kind of shaming of people who need help uh, and one, how disgraceful that is in my opinion, but also how counterintuitive it is, right? We literally make it harder for people to access the help they need and then either wonder why people aren't doing better, right? Or we have programs that cost more to administer than the actual help that they're providing, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And Dan, I think that kind of leeways perfectly into the trash bag moment, um, which belongs starts here. We want to kind of reinvent that trash bag moment because a trash bag isn't meant to hold a child's or young adult's most valuable belongings, but it's really for those myths or negative connotations that we want to debunk um, and put into the trash bag. So what uh, kind of negative connotations about these vulnerable populations do you want to put into the trash bag? I want to pause or, you know, go back to that image that you just referenced of kids putting their things into a trash bag to get from one maybe foster home or group home or whatever to another. And how powerful of an experience in a negative way that is that we cannot provide a kid with a suitable, you know, 
duffel bag or whatever to put their things into. And, you know, it's just if from a very young age, we're teaching kids that they are not worthy, that they're not valuable, that they have to rough it, that they're going to have to just grin and bear it, you know? And what's amazing is that that kid, that kid who's packing that trash bag probably has no idea where they're going. What a horrific and terrifying reality. And in California, I don't know as much about other states and how uh, the Department of you know Child and Welfare Services or Child and Family Services works, but in California, counties have relationships with other counties wherein if they don't have enough beds for their own foster population, they can send kids to another county, right? So in California, I'm here in Ventura County uh, in Ojai, and we, um, we, our county has relationships, has contractual relationships with counties all over the state. And so if a kid, you know, is in Riverside County and it's not working out at their group home and there's not another home for them to move to, they will bus that kid or drive that kid from Riverside County hours away to Ventura County, regardless of whether or not they have any connections here, family, friends, et cetera, right? So you're, you know, a 10-year-old kid packed up, hasn't been living at home, maybe he's been separated from their siblings, and they're taken to another part of the state, and they're expected to just kind of transition, you know, and I think Look, we all just went, we're not through it yet, but we've all went through, gone now through a couple of years of, of COVID and the impact that a lack of certainty has on your mental health or a change in, um, in normal, you know, daily course of, of life, right? Your work site changes, the way you, have, you meet with people changes, who you're able to see you know, wearing masks inside, it's, you know, all these things. And it's, and it's had this profound impact on people's mental health. Right. And then we translate that experience to that of a kid who has no parents with them in their lives, maybe has no siblings with them in their lives, has very few, if any relationships that have spanned their life and they're picked up and moved across the state because, or even across the County because there's no bed available. What a traumatic experience. So I think that trash bag, kind of one of those just initial things that we, I believe we need to pause on is just the amount of trauma that kids experience. And that's just one relatively small moment in their life, you know, but how powerful and how impactful. And we look at the number of times that kids move throughout their lives. I mean, it's just insane. There's a lot of work, you know, right now we're focused on this 18 to 24 year old population, but there's so much more work to do upstream from that. And that's not to say anything about the work that people are doing. You know, the, people have dedicated their lives to try and improve this experience for kids. Um, and I think a lot of progress has been made, but, uh, you know, we have a long way to go. Um, but a couple of other things that I wanted to mention in terms of those like trash bag moments, I think that, uh, I really think it's important that we hammer the idea that, that these kids shouldn't have to do 
anything to earn our help. Uh, they've been through hell and the fact that they're, you know, breathing and, and willing to get out of bed in the morning is, uh, heroic in and of itself. And so, um, you know, I was recently having a conversation with a friend of mine and we were talking about some of the different services that we are going to be offering. And he, and I think this is a normal response, but his, his reactor, his, one of his ideas was, you know, what, what, what can you do to encourage kids or young adults to maybe show up to therapy, right? Maybe you can require them to do a certain amount of work on the property or something. And my feedback, or I guess, you know, the way I, I re responded, reacted to that was like, look, the way that we're going to encourage them to show up to therapy is by giving them choice, by saying, hey, you, just like everyone that I know who sees a therapist, uh, might not get it right on the first try, you know, might not get the perfect match for you on the first try. And so we need to, we need to have the flexibility to let you try other things out and maybe talk therapy isn't your thing. Maybe art therapy is or drama therapy or equine therapy or horticultural therapy, or maybe you just want to do, you know, yoga meditation group and then a group therapy conversation afterwards. Let's try it out. Let's give you options that show you that we care and show you that we value you as an individual. Um, and then if, if it's a good therapist and you're starting to work on those things that uh, are harming you um, or causing you angst, then you're going to go back because it's helping, you know? Uh, yeah. So, so that's one thing. Um, another thing is that, you know, the, the, the difference between one kid and another is in terms of their value or their uh, kind of what they deserve in life is um, non-existent, right? These kids deserve everything that any other kid deserves. And the, the more we forget or fail to recognize our kind of familial relationships with one another, regardless of, you know, uh, bloodlines or whatever, um, the further we get from that, I think the more damage we're doing to our communities. You know, the more disparity we see among our our neighbors, um, the more our communities are going to fall apart. I don't see that as a um, a healthy way to move forward. Right? We just I just saw an article the other day that was talking about the record breaking number of billionaires uh, in this country. Look, I have nothing nothing against people with wealth. Uh, but I do have a problem with extreme disparity that leads to just a um, this massive divide in opportunity because, you know, and this is connected to maybe my third point, which is that all people have something really incredible to offer. Uh, it's really hard to do that when you're not well, you know, it's hard to, to give of yourself when your your own self is not healthy and whole. Um, but one of the things that we are building into our programming at Mesa is that one, one of our four kind of 
buckets, one of our four prongs, I guess, uh, is that each of our residents has a lot to give and they need to find that thing that they want to give to the world. Do they want to volunteer with the Land Conservancy or do they want to read books to kids at the library or do they want to mentor uh, sixth grade foster youth, resource youth, you know? Um, do they want to do a art beautification project at the park? Um, whatever it is, whatever their passion is, whatever, wherever their energy, talent, skill is, let's give something back. Not because you owe anyone anything, but because it, it makes you feel better. I think it, it helps your own self-esteem to know that you have a lot, you know, have something to give. It helps you build a relationship. Um, you know, we are asking, well, we're requiring, I guess, in some ways, Ojai, our community, to wrap their arms around this program, right? Our program is not going to work if Ojai, Ventura County, doesn't buy into it. Um, but at the same time, I want to make sure that people who live here know that their community is stronger because of these young adults, right? Not just because of what maybe they're doing to volunteer in the community, but because when we're all, when we're, when each of us are healthier, we're all healthier. We know that. We know that. So I, I think those are really, you know, powerful things to put into the trash bag. And one of the things that about during our overview is title of this episode, which is the beauty of the caterpillar and um, kids aging out of the foster system. So can you tell me a little bit more about the caterpillar moments in these young adults' lives and, and kind of the beauty behind those moments? I'm sure that this metaphor has been used by a ton of people. Um, I heard it first from uh, a man named Ian DeJong, who um, has done a lot of work in the homelessness world. Um, and he just talked about how, you know, the butterfly is always, he asked, I think it, we were at a, a relatively large um, conference or something. And he asked how many people had butterfly tattoos you know, and all these people raised their hands or stood up or whatever it was. And then he, he said, okay, so how many people have caterpillar tattoos, right? And clearly, well, not clearly necessarily, but no one had any caterpillar tattoos. Maybe he did. Um, and he went on to just talk about how, what an incredible being this little caterpillar is, right? That they willfully spin themselves this little cocoon or chrysalis, if I think my daughter would correct me. Um, and they go inside and their body melts, right? Their body just completely falls apart uh, as they, you know, reinvent themselves or re recreate themselves into this butterfly and emerge. Um, and we tend to celebrate the butterfly because it's, you know, beautiful and whatever. Um, and we don't talk a lot about the commitment and skill and energy and, you know, uh, power and tenacity and, um, resilience of the caterpillar. And so I think that, you know, these kids, young adults, as they are, are coming to us, you know, they're caterpillars and the fact that they've made it to that point is 
uh, in my mind, overwhelmingly um, incredible. Also talking about like, there's a caterpillar part, there's the struggle to get out of the cocoon. And then there's, you know, you, you got your wings and you're transitioning into a butterfly, but you still need to learn how to flap your wings. You still have to go through that struggle of figuring out how you're going to, you're going to fly. So, you know, kids, young adults uh, may come to you as a butterfly that doesn't know how to use their wings quite yet. Yeah. Butterflies needing uh, resources, right? They need an environment that's healthy. They need flowers to, to pollinate. They need, you know, um, you know, there, there are a whole lot of threats and we could go pretty deeply into all of those things and how, you know, just because you're kind of out on your own, even with a solid foundation, how much support you need from your community, you know, it goes so far beyond just kind of whatever you have internally and being able to rely on those relationships around you. I think one thing I wanted to mention about these kids and this kind of caterpillar metaphor is, you know, that this takes a lot of work. You know, this is not, uh, you don't show up and in six weeks, you're ready to go out on your own and own the world. You know, um, you know, we are set up to be there for a young adult for up to two years. Um, obviously that won't be the same for everyone because not everyone has the same background or, you know, um, starting point, but we're there for that amount of time because it does take work. And, you know, one, it's come up a few times uh, when talking about what we're doing and it's like, okay, well, what happens at the end of two years if the kid, if this young adult doesn't want to leave and Kyle, my, you know, my partner is, has been quick to say, well, that means that we didn't do our job right? That has nothing to do with that young adult. If we got to that point where it's been 24 months and they don't feel ready to move on, that's because we haven't done our job. We haven't supported them appropriately. We haven't pushed them, you know, on their journey. Uh, and so that's on us and we need to figure out how to make it right. Um, but, you know, I don't expect it to generally take that long. Um, so we'll see, but, uh, anyway, recognizing just the strength and courage that it takes for these young adults to go inside of themselves and start to work on those things that maybe have gotten in the way in the past, you know, and to get back up again and keep working and keep trying and to trust us. Right. I mean, I think that, you know, as well as anyone that, you know, the number of people who come into your life and say, you know, I'm here to help, I'm here to help, I'm here to help. And, Maybe they're there for a little while or what's being promised isn't actually what shows up. And so we've got to be consistent on our end to really show up every day and um, give them a reason to believe in what we're doing. Can you tell me like from having the thought and idea of creating Mesa to where you are now? Yeah. So um the concept actually started out as an early release program for people coming out of jail. Uh, Kyle came to me maybe two years ago now asking about um, my work in LA. At the time, Kyle had started Topa Topa Brewing, a co-founded Topa Topa Brewing uh, brewery here in California. Um, and 
I thought when he was asking me about homelessness that he was wanting to find a philanthropic partner for the for the brewery to donate to, and that was not the case. He was ready to get out of the beer business and uh, get involved in some more community based work. But um, yeah, so I presented him with this concept uh, that looks pretty similar to what we've built, um, but initially for people coming out of the prison system, um, we fairly quickly. Um, pivoted to, to working with young adults, um, you know, transition age youth. Um, and the idea was always built on this kind of holistic um, viewpoint or a holistic approach to human health. And so in that, recognizing that human health and environmental health are are intrinsically tied. And so, you know, Mesa is now a 1% for the planet uh, nonprofit partner because of our commitment to environmental health. Um, we are, we just recently closed on a property um, where we'll be launching our first site uh, here in Ojai. It's a 10 acre uh, orange orchard uh, where we'll have, um, there's kind of a main house We'll be adding 10 tiny homes uh, that are really, really beautiful. Uh, and then we'll be dedicating a portion of that farm to a permaculture food forest uh, and converting the whole orchard into an organic farm. Um, and, you know, recognizing that, you know, we are only healthy. Humans are only healthy when our, our planet is healthy, when our, their, our local environment is healthy. And so, trying to play whatever role we can in, um, in developing that and, and recognizing the strength that and lessons we can learn from infusing our soil with health and then having that return, you know, healthy food to us. Um, so yeah, I mean, this kind of holistic view, I mentioned, um, like the community relationship, giving back to the community, um, I've mentioned the you know, mental, physical wellness, um, and then also our components around education and vocation. So in those, you know, it's kind of a return to the theme of uh, an individual approach, right? So you don't have to go get this job because it's available. You know, are you interested in that? You know, and you're going to be a whole lot more likely to be successful and committed and all of those things. If you're interested in the job that you're doing, uh, same thing goes for education, right? That I think we really need to focus on what kids want to learn uh, and want to spend their time doing, because we're going to see a lot better outcomes uh, as a result. And is Mesa only available for um, your physical demographic? Yeah. So right now, uh, we are based in Ventura County. We've received a lot of funding from Ventura County. And so we're committed right now to providing services for young adults uh, here in Ventura, Ventura County. Um, but we certainly want to expand and have an impact uh, outside of our region. Um, I think that for us to have as big of an impact as possible, we need to be meeting with other agencies who are doing similar work. Um, if they're interested in what we're doing, I would love to, you know, connect and talk about our theory 
uh, of change and why we think that this is the right way to go. Um, so, you know, like I said, I think we need to go upstream. We need to start thinking about foster care at a younger age. We need to start, we need to be working with parents who are likely to, um, have a hard time keeping their kids because of whatever situation they're in and start surrounding them with professionals and love and support from a very, from the, from the first doctor's visit, you know, any, in my mind, not in my mind, this is just, this is fact that any investment that we make at that age is going to be repaid in full very quickly. You know, we spend an unbelievable amount of money, uh, you know, hundred thousand dollars a year, easy, just keeping people alive on the street. Right. Um, we spend that or more keeping people alive in jail. And on top of the money that we spend, you know, the amount of trauma that these people are experiencing, the impact that it has on our daily lives as we, you know, go through life. Uh, so, you know, I think that the more we can invest intelligently, holistically at a young age, the better. Um, and, you know, it's our intention to help to, you know, steer the conversation in that direction. It's targeting it at the roots and seeing what roots each individual organization or each individual person can, can tackle and help with. And I, I respect that you guys do think about that, you know, it's how can Mesa actually help from the root? So it, someone might not even need our services in the future. So um, I, I respect that. And I think it's something that needs to be talked about. I want to go back to how you said one of the things that our listeners can really help you with is if they are an agency that has the same mindset and the same, um, you know, kind of plan for of action to help these youth with to get in contact with you and then put your minds together. So what's a what's a good way for just those agency specific contacts to get in contact with you? Um, so come to our website, uh, www.mesafarm.org. Uh, you can email me directly and maybe you can include that I don't know, in the notes for the podcast. Um, but my email is d-a-n dot p-a-r-z-i-a-l-e at mesafarm.org. Um, but if you reach out to us through the website, there's a spot to you know send us an email. It's an easy way to do it. Um, but I would also encourage people to to think about um, fostering, think about being a foster parent, think about adopting, um, you know, uh, we like to throw, we like to throw out that, you know, it takes a village to raise a child quote. Uh, and I don't know how much we believe it. You know, I mean, I think, uh, I, th I think it's an easy thing to say and it's a nice thing to say and it recognizes maybe the reality of it, but then it's like, yeah, so that kid, that kid needs a community right there. You know, that kid needs a community to help raise him or her. And it's like, right. Well, that's why we have school. Well, we have schools that with massive classrooms, you know, and teachers that 
uh, you know, maybe underpaid and, um, you know, dealing with all sorts of challenges or, you know, that's the social, social system that, you know, Department of Child and Family Services to deal with. Well, that's not our community. You know, our community is us, me and you. And I think we can do a lot more to help improve the lives of these kids. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think that it, it takes all of us. What's one piece of advice that you would give to um, a foster youth about to age out of foster care and for an advocate like yourself that's working with um, this population? Yeah. So I think I'm going to start with the non-foster youth. So like advice for everybody else. Um and, and I think that would just be to do something. You know, I think it's, it can be scary. You can feel like, you know, I don't know enough, or I've got to get my own life in order, or I've got my own kids to worry about or, or whatever. Um, and I get it. I also think that you're going to get a lot more out of this, that experience than you realize. Um, and so if you have the means, uh, you don't need to be perfect. You know, you just need to be you and you need to be available and you need to be consistent. Um, but jump in, you know, uh, I think um, it's incredible how powerful you are. And uh, so that, that would be kind of my advice there. From, from the foster youth standpoint, uh, you know, so much of it is dependent on the rest of us stepping up because I think my number one piece of advice would be to try and find a mentor, you know, find someone who cares uh, and lean on them as hard as you can um, or as hard as you need to, uh, because it's our job to be there for you and to answer the phone and to show up and, you know, uh, go to the park and hang out or just be available for a phone call or, or whatever. Um, I recently had the opportunity. I was uh, introduced to uh, a young man who um, he was raised by his parents um, for most of his life, but uh, experienced quite a bit of abuse uh, at home uh, and was not allowed to be around other people. Um, suffered from pretty extreme uh, loneliness. And that started carrying over into school where it was really difficult for him to make friends. Um, and he had a teacher who he's talked to me about who just was not there for him and, you know, tend to criticize him in front of other people for lack of participation or whatever. And uh, he, he ended up uh, committing kind of a small petty crime, uh, just to get out, to get out of the house. And he was put in juvenile hall for a period of time and then, um, was put into a group home. Uh, and he said that it was at that group home where he was taught how to meditate, um, and reflect and, uh, and that those, just that experience itself kind of saved his life. He went on to, be in another group home that was not as positive. Um, and he's now 
uh, in kind of a permanent supportive housing situation, um, but still suffers, you know, dramatically from feelings of loneliness, feelings, you know, lack of, of self-worth, uh, has battled, you know, depression and suicidal ideation and, and all those things. Um, he needed someone. He needed anyone to just ask how he was doing and give a shit. He needed someone to say, how are you? What can I do to help? You know, and that is so small. Like that's a very small ask, but that's what he needed and he didn't get it. And it's not fair, um, but there are tens of thousands of kids just like him right now, you know? Um, and so I, I, I do believe that having a mentor in your life can be all the difference in the world. Um, and we all have that opportunity and that power. Um, and so, you know, we need to take advantage of it. Yeah. And that's one of the goals of this podcast is, you know, for, for me, I, I knew that there were resources, but I had so much else going on in my mind because no one was asking me how I was doing, that that wasn't what I was thinking about. So to have a podcast where all of these people are coming on and sharing their stories and sharing all these resources, I think would have helped me to know that there's an abundance of help out there and that I need to find the helpers. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, so if I can push back on that a little bit, I think that that's yeah. putting a little bit of pressure, maybe too much pressure on you. You know, mm -hmm. it's like you're a kid, you were a kid and right. you it was not your responsibility in my mind or in my opinion to like go out and manifest that, you know, I think um, I'm hopeful that if there are any kids that are listening to this, that when someone does offer their help, that you say, yes, you know, if they're a good, good person who you trust and, and all of that, um, uh, you know, take a leap of faith and, and, and say yes to that help. Um, but I think that, yeah, you, you should have been given more options probably. That would be, what would be your pitch almost for a, you know, a social worker even to say, Hey, I know you're about to age out of foster care. There's this great program. Um, what would be your pitch that they should use for someone, uh, aging out of foster care to consider uh, being a resident at Mesa, you know, a young adult who's getting ready to age out and doesn't really necessarily know what they're going to do. And maybe they have some friends that they think they can crash on the couch or they can, they have a aunt or a grandmother who can take them in from time to time or, you know, whatever. I think that one thing I would say is that we all have needed help in our lives to get to where we are, right? No one did this on their own. Uh, and there's zero shame in needing help and in asking for help and accepting help. Right. Um, and so that's part of it. And there's no shame in not knowing what you're going to do with the next part of your life. Right. I mean, you look at kids who had, you know, maybe this idyllic upbringing and they still don't know, right. Some kids do, but so many don't. 
Um, and, you know, I think about a lot of the time that I probably wasted in college because I didn't totally know what I wanted and I wasn't maybe mature enough to take advantage of the opportunities that I had. And so, um, kind of normalizing the experience, you know, I was talking to my brother maybe a year ago as we were, you know, a handful of months into building this out. And he said something like, you know, I wish I'd had this opportunity. You know, we all need this. And it's like, well, yeah, of course, you know, so, um, yeah, dispelling any of the kind of negative connotations with needing help, um, would be maybe a good place to start. And then I would also say to just to check it out, come spend some time with us, you know, talk to our staff, uh, talk to our board members, um, spend some time in Ohio. you know, if this is, or whatever, wherever you are, if there's an opportunity in your community, um, go and check it out. There's a lot of obviously really incredible, amazing people who've dedicated their lives to trying to make this happen. Uh, from the social worker side, you know, one thing I would say is, well, two part, I guess, two part answer. One is that if you are not like loving what you do, not to say that there aren't bad days or bad meetings or, you know, whatever challenges, but if you are not loving what you do, go do something else. You know, life is short. <laughs> uh, as far as I know, we get, we get one crack at this, you know, we get one shot at this life uh, as far as I know, and we might as well enjoy it, you know, and I, I have to say that I am, I am so honored. Um, I feel incredibly yeah. lucky that I've had the opportunity to do the work that I've done with my life and uh, in my life. And I, um, you know, I relish the opportunity to build Mesa out with Kyle and to, to create this really incredible space for people to live and work and, and grow, uh, build community, you know, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So um, if you're enjoying it, awesome. <laughs> uh, but if you're not, that's okay. Go, you know, go do something else or take a break. You know, my, my buddy, DJ Dodonna leads up a group called this, the sabbatical project, um, which is, you know, pushing for people to take sabbaticals and to work sabbaticals into their uh, benefits packages uh, with work. And, you know, I think that that's, that's a huge, um, you know, if you can make that happen or talk to your work about making that happen, I think it's really important to take some time to step back and think about what inspires you. Uh, um, because each of those kids deserves everything you've got, yeah. you know, and you need to have boundaries and you need to have balance and all those things. But when you're there and you're sitting across from them, they deserve all of you. And if you can't give that, then maybe you need a break. Um, and that's okay. And I, I think it also goes back to being resilient because you are hearing a lot of stories that are hard to swallow. You are working, uh, you know, with the population and with children that, that do need a lot of, of love and a lot of your, your emotions and your energy. And, and if your cup isn't full, there's, there's no way that you can truly be there and show up for these children. So I think that having you doing this program and, and having that mindset lets me know like it's going to be successful and and it's like the mindset that you need when you're working with with foster children yeah i think so um you know one thing that 
we've learned a lot too is that as we've built out this program design and really uh, kind of harped on the importance of mental health, physical health, you know, et cetera, a balanced life, that we need to be incorporating those practices into our own life, right? So, uh, you know, Kyle and I are, are working on that. Um, you know, uh, so yeah, it, it, it like if we're going to preach it, we should be walking the walk too. And um, so we're, we're trying. Tell me a quote that you resonate with um, either to help you like get through the work that you do or something that relates to the world of foster care. Because I think quotes, and I, I think you said this too, is during our overview meeting, you said it really packs a punch and quotes really kind of say what needs to be said in a few words that a lot of people resonate with. So what would that quote be for you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I tend to talk a lot. <laughs> so I think that any, anytime you can give me a quote or a, that I can, yeah, boil it down, uh, can be powerful, but um, yeah. So you asked me to, to think about that a little bit. And so I appreciate um, having a, some lead time. Cause I don't know if I could come up with a quote on the spot, but uh, so uh, my friend, Tom Voss, uh, who started a nonprofit called Ohi.Earth, um, which I highly recommend anyone check out, uh, had this quote on his website and I, I found it to be really powerful. So it's a quote by Bill Mollison, who was one of the founders or founding thinkers around permaculture. Um, uh, and the quote was, the only ethical decision is to take responsibility for our own existence and that of our children, make it now. So make that decision now. Uh, and, you know, I just, um, maybe I probably should just leave it at that, but I think I, <laughs> I. It really does wrap up exactly what we were just yeah. talking about. It's so easy though, to say, that's not my problem. Mm. You know, it's so easy to say, it's not my kid, not my problem or whatever. Or, you know, that, that person who's on the street corner asking me for change or whatever, not my problem. Mm -hmm. You know, they were born in the same country as me, potentially, you know, and they could have pulled themselves up by their bootstraps or whatever. Uh, you know, and I think um, it's a tired excuse um, and I don't think we should accept it. Uh, and I think that the population that we are working with, this 18 and 24 year old group, even more so, right? They deserve all of our love and all of our uh, capacity and all of our energy. Um, and, you know, we're not going to stop uh, until every kid has an opportunity, um, a positive opportunity in place to, to launch. Um, and we, we welcome you. We ask everyone out there to join us. Um, and we're, we're happy to, it's happy to have you and happy to join with you in, in making this happen. So come visit us. If you're ever in Southern California, come to Ojai and visit us because we're building something really beautiful um, or, you know, reach out to us through the website. I'd love to talk. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. And, you know, as updates come up for Mesa, we would love to have you back on and kind of just give us a rundown of how everything's going and, you know, maybe share a few stories of the impact. Um, I thank you so much for not only being on here, but I thank both you and Kyle for the work that you're doing. Awesome. Well, you know, same to you, Nipu. I think 
you know, you're, you're shining a light on this. Um, you are an example of, you know, the heroic nature of kids who come out of the system, uh, and push through, uh, you know, against all odds. Um, you know, I, I truly believe this from the bottom of my heart that these kids are going to be the, the leaders of tomorrow because they are unbelievably resilient, uh, and forgiving and, um, and powerful, you know, and I think that their stories are, you know, inspiring. And so, uh, you're inspiring and I'm really, really glad to have met you and I'm excited to, to watch, uh, what you do. Thank you so much, Dana. I really appreciate it. And, um, give us one more shout out of how, uh, we can get in touch with you and your Instagram handle as well. Cause I know you update that, uh, quite often. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say easiest thing is to go to our website, www.mesafarm.org. Again, www.mesafarm.org. Uh, and our Instagram and Twitter handles are at Mesa underscore farm. <laughs>